0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. You ever step into a role that you knew was big? Maybe it was at your workplace. Maybe your family was asking you to do something. You ever step into something that you knew? This is important. This is an important position that I have been asked to fill. One that maybe you even consider might be too big for you. One that kind of intimidated you a little bit. Maybe you didn't tell anybody. Maybe you didn't show it to anybody else. But when you walked into that role, you knew it was big. You knew that there was a heavy load that was put on your shoulders. Well, fathering is and should be one of these roles. It's an immense role. Amen? Fathering is an immense role fathering is a big deal being a father having a child raising up a child that's a big deal i know that when you look on social media that's not the impression that you get when you look on social media you know who is kind of presented as being a big deal athletes are presented as being a big deal i oh, look at lebron james he's such a big deal Wow, he's so rich. Wow, he's so successful. Wow, he's so good. Wow, he's a big deal. Celebrities are a big deal. Musicians, actors, just social media personalities. They're on you know, Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or whatever, wherever they're at. When you look online, they get presented as being, wow, he's a big deal. She's a big deal. Look how much money she makes. Look how much everybody likes all of his posts or likes her posts. That's a big deal. Successful businessmen are presented as a big deal. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, some of these other businessmen, they're presented as being, wow, look at him. Look what he did. Look at the business that he built. Look how successful he is. Look how rich he is. He's a big deal. You have all these different individuals you could go into, politicians and and all these different groups of people, and the world definitely puts... This big deal label on people who are successful, people who are wealthy, people who are popular. But I'm here to tell you that fathers are a big deal. Fathers are a big deal. I know they don't get as much attention in the news. I know they don't get as much attention on social media. I know that they don't get as much money as you, know, as you do for you know, playing basketball or playing football. But being a father, that's a big deal. It's an impactful role. See, fathers have the opportunity to make an enormous impact on the lives of their children. To shape their view of the world from day one. That's a big deal. That's an impactful position and role that you get to from the very first day that your child is born to be able to help them, to be able to teach them. To be able to educate them, to put them on that right path, to be able to train them up in the way that they should go, that's a big deal. I'll never forget the slogan of a camp that I heard about. I had a friend when I was at Bible college, and when you go to Bible college, you have a lot of people, first of all, that come from all over the country, and then you have people who have done all sorts of different things through the summer. A lot of people will go home, and they'll just work a secular job, try to save up enough money to be able to pay for their tuition the next fall and into the next spring. You'll see a lot of people do that. You'll see a lot of people go home and they'll intern at different places. They might intern at their church. They might intern at a campground and uh, just help out the the campground. You have teenagers and kids come in. Well, One of my friends had one of these shirts where he was interning at a summer campground. I don't remember the name of the camp. I just remember the slogan on the back. The slogan on the back was, it is easier to raise up strong boys than to repair broken men. And I remember seeing that and thinking about that. and I was like, wow, I've never thought about that before. But such is the importance of fatherhood. It's much easier to be able to start from a little child and be able to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord than to find a grown man living in sin with all sorts of problems in his life, much easier to begin at the very beginning and to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's also a very rewarding role. Third John, verse number 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Amen, fathers? Oh, what a wonderful joy it is if you have children that walk in the ways of the Lord. That's a joy to be able to see them. You know, I have I have two little kids, and just whenever they're singing songs about Jesus, whenever they're quoting verses that they learn in the Bible, sometimes they don't even know the words, but they're singing the tunes because they heard it at church, or they hear mom or dad singing it. What a wonderful joy it is, and I'm praying that they'll be saved, that they'll grow in the Lord, and be able to be a, 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 a great minister, and be able to serve in the church, and It's a wonderfully rewarding role. Becoming a parent and raising up a child, that's a big deal. This little one that is so dependent upon you and so much of what this little child will learn about what the world is like and what the world could be to them will fall greatly on the shoulders of the fathers. I remember the first time I held my first child in my arms. It was special. Fathers, you remember that moment? Remember that very first moment you held your very first child? This is my child, the child that God gave to me. I was special. Just looking at this child, this child who is literally in my arms, but also figuratively in my hands. It's a great responsibility. Fathers, do you ever feel like this fathering thing can be a little overwhelming? I remember reading books about fathering before I became a father, and I was like, they make it sound so easy. <laughs> oh, you just say this, you do this, you plan things out, and you you know, you do all of these different things, and this is how you you know discipline, and this is how you do this and that. And I was like, okay, all right, I think. I'll... And then I got my own child, and I was like, they didn't tell me about any of this stuff that I'm going through. All right, what happens when your child wakes you up in the middle of the night and you've got a big thing to do the next day? What do you do? You know, all of these things that every single day, you know, situations where you're like, I didn't even know this is a thing that happened, and now you've got to deal with it. It can be an overwhelming thing. These are big shoes to fill. Sometimes a question can be asked, how can I father these children, and even though I want to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, how can I father them in the world that we live in today? With wickedness everywhere, wickedness that easily enters our homes through TV screens, through our smartphones, through our computers, all of these things, it can be overwhelming. Well, I want to take a look at Joshua because Joshua knew a thing or two about stepping into a big role, a big position. Because you have to remember that we're we're talking about fathers, but you have to remember that Joshua was not just a father. He was filling the shoes of the leader of Israel, which was Moses. You want to talk about a leader? You gotta take a look at Moses. You wanna talk about a great man of God? You gotta take a look at Moses. You wanna talk about somebody who is called in the Bible the friend of God? That's Moses. And Moses, of course, is passed off the scene, and it's it's intimidating. I gotta follow in the footsteps of Moses, this Moses, who is the great leader. How am I going to be able to fill in those shoes? Well, I believe that Joshua lays a few things out in Joshua 24 that helps us to understand how he was able to fill the role of being the leader of Israel. That also helps us understand how can we as fathers, those of you that will be fathers, to step into that role. So how did Joshua fill the big role that he was put into? Well, first of all, we see that Joshua magnified the preserved documentation, meaning this. There was a past record of what God had done for Israel, and he made sure to emphasize that. Verse number one, Joshua 24, verse number one. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. See, the first step to being able to stand up before your family as the leader of your home is to present yourself before God. This is step number one, and many of the problems that fathers face as fathers can be solved simply with this first step, because the best leaders of the home will be the ones who are the best servants of heaven. Those that continually stand before God and ask the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, the best fathers are not the ones who say, I'm the boss here, you do what I say. The best fathers are the ones that say, God is Lord over all. God, what do you want us to do? The best fathers are those that recognize that there is a higher authority than them in the home, and it is God. And they presented themselves before God. That's what it says in verse number one, verse number two. And Joshua said unto all the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I'm going to tell you what God said. That's what we do in church service every single week. If you wonder what we're doing when we have preaching time, we're saying, this is what God said and what God is saying to us. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. See, here's something that we learn about Abraham that you might not have known or thought about before. When you think about Abraham, you think about the patriarch, right? God called Abraham out of the, out of the east country and, and he called him into the promised land and, and he promised him a son and he was 75 years old and, and he didn't have any children and, and God eventually gave him a son when he was 100 years old and Isaac was born. and We see all the wonderful miracles that happen. We see some wonderful faith in the life of Abraham. But something that you may not recognize is that Abraham didn't grow up in a home that worshiped God. See, that's what the verse says in verse number two. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, Abraham's father was Terah and the father of Nacor. So Abraham's dad is Terah. His brother is Nacor. His dad and his brother served other gods. See, Abraham grew up in a home that didn't worship God. We might say it this way. Abraham didn't grow up going to church. Abraham didn't grow up going to Sunday school class as a kid. Abraham didn't grow up with a youth group when he was in his teenage years. He didn't grow up going to youth camp in the summertime. He didn't grow up with a church. He didn't grow up with a a Bible-believing family. He didn't grow up worshiping God. Of course, we know that there was no church in the days of Abraham, but that's kind of the parallel that we have today. And you might say, well, I didn't grow up with a father who was saved. I didn't have a father who worshiped God. I didn't have a father who taught the things of the Bible. And Abraham would say, yeah, me too. I understand what you're going through. I understand that if you grow up in a house without a dad who serves God, without a family member who serves God, how difficult that that can be. And if you feel like, Well, that person is able to serve God because look at his dad, or look at his home, or look at his upbringing, and look at all of these other things. Abraham would be able to say, I understand all of those things, and yet he worshipped God. That was step number one to being able to father his children and raise them up in the nurture of admonition of the Lord. See, God calls all fathers of every kind of background and upbringing to be godly leaders of their homes. No matter your upbringing, and some are more privileged than others. I grew up going to church and I'm very thankful for that. I also understand that not everybody had that. And I'm grateful for the Bible who describes people like Abraham who didn't have that. They didn't have, he didn't have what some other individuals had, and yet he served God. Now, we're going to get into what exactly Joshua is saying. We're talking about the preserved documentation, the record of what God did. Verse number three. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. And I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. So here is Joshua giving a very brief, like one sentence history of the children of Israel. I called Abraham. I gave him Isaac, and I gave him Jacob and Esau. And now we know the whole story. We know the situation of the historical record here in the Bible, which is that God did some amazing, wonderful works for them. See, we need to be familiar with our Bibles because we need to know what God did. That's why we come every single week and we take a look at the Bible to see what God did. Do you see what God did? I know when you read the Bible stories, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, okay. But think about some basic Bible stories that we're like, yeah, 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 I know the story. Think about the story of Noah. You say, yeah, God brought a, a worldwide flood. Do you understand what you're saying? God brought... A worldwide flood. The entire earth was covered with water. That's what God did. God also gave grace to Noah. He built an ark and he saved his family. Think about Abraham. Abraham was given a child. He was promised a child at the age of 75. When you're at 75, you're thinking about retiring. You're not thinking about having a family, right? But he wanted a family, and God says, I'm giving you a family. Okay, all right, God. One year, two years, three years. How long do I got to wait? 80 years. He's now 90 years. He's now 95 years. God shows up when he's 99 years old and says, all right, now's the time. When he was 100, he had his first child in terms of Isaac. He had Isaac now with Abraham and Sarah. Now they have their first child. That's a miracle, right? Isn't that a miracle? How many 100-year-old people are having children these days? How many people are even alive at 100 years old, right? Let alone talking about having kids and raising up, you know? You're 95 years old, what are your plans, you know? Everybody's like, just want to make it another day. Abraham's like, I want to have a family, right? They're like, Abraham, what are you talking about? God promised me a family, I'm going to have a family. These are some amazing miracles that God did for them. Some amazing, wonderful miracles. And Joshua acknowledged that these miracles did not come through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. They came through God. Joshua chapter 24, here is Joshua saying, Thus saith the Lord. So in verse number three, when it says, And I took your father Abraham, who's speaking here? It's God. God is saying, I took your father Abraham. Verse number four, And I gave unto him Isaac. Verse number four, And I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. What he's saying is, All of this was done by God. And we've got to remember the things that God has done. It's so vital and important that you be constantly reminded about what God has done in the past. And the reason is, you'll find out in Judges chapter number two, what happens to a people that forget what God did. Judges chapter 2, verse number 7. I think the verse is on the screen. Judges, if you know your Bibles, is the next chapter after Joshua. Verse number 7. And the people served the Lord. That's a wonderful start. All the days of Joshua. As long as Joshua was alive, Israel was serving God. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. The power of being able to see this is what God can do and this is what God did. How can I but serve anybody else? That was Joshua's mentality. That was the mentality of the elders. But verse number 10 takes a turn. And there arose another generation after them. Oh, this is the thing about the human nature and the human cycle. There comes another generation. Another generation after them. Which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. Here is a generation that came after Joshua. This would be like gen, you know the millennial generation to you know the baby boomer generation or Gen X, right? or Gen Z, right? You've got this younger generation that has been born and will soon become the dominant generation. Soon the old generation will pass away and this will be the leadership. There arose a generation which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. What happens when a generation forgets what God can and has done? And the children did, uh, of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. You know what happens when Christians forget what God can do? You know what happens when Christians forget what God did? They serve other gods. That's what happened to the nation of Israel That's the entire book of Judges. That's what Christians often do. So we need to remember what God did. So why do we preach the Bible so often? You ever wonder that? Why do we preach the Bible every Sunday? We're going to have Sunday night services, right? Whenever I tell people who are not familiar with our church, sometimes they even go to other churches and they ask, you have a Sunday morning service and you have a Sunday night service. Why do you have two services on sunday is it the same service like if you miss sunday morning you can go to sunday night well yes if you miss sunday morning you can go to sunday night service but it's not the same service i'm preaching a different message okay i'm going to preach a different message we'll have a different audience we have a different purpose we'll have the kids here in the auditorium on sunday nights it'll be a little bit different people wonder why do you have two and then you have another service in the middle of the week why because we've got to remember what God does. We've got to remember, you can't forget it. It's gotta be at the forefront of your mind of this is what God did for me, God saved me. If you're saved, God saved you, amen? God did a miracle for you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. Have you forgotten that? Let's never forget that, amen? Hey, if we remember that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, shouldn't that be the same attitude of Joshua's, how can I but serve any other God but this God? That's Joshua's mentality. And so the first thing that he did when he was stepping into this role of, whoa, I gotta follow after Moses, and in considering the role of fathers is, he magnified the preserved documentation. Here is the record of what God did. Let's never forget it. Let's emphasize it. Let's talk about it. Let's teach it. Let's live it. That's the first thing that he did. The second thing that he did is Joshua modeled a participatory devotion. So if you're like me, and I mentioned that I grew up going to church, and if you're in a situation like me, you know all of the stories of the Bible, right? You know all of them, right? Basically, all the major stories, you know the stories, right? You know the story of creation, you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know the story of Noah, you know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know about Moses, you know about Joshua, you know about David, you know about Daniel, you know about Peter, James, and John, Paul, Jesus, you know all of the stories, right? You know all of the stories. If I mentioned a story, If you grew up going to church, you probably say, Oh, yeah, I know this story. I recognize this story. You may not know where in the Bible it is, but you know about the story. But there's a big difference between knowing what others did for God and what God did for others. There's a big difference between that and what God did for me and what I'm doing for God. There's a big difference between being able to say, I saw the Dodgers win the world series it's another thing to be able to say i threw the last pitch as a dodger to win the world series there's a big difference there's a big difference being able to say i drove in the winning run to win the world series i was the guy who caught the last ball i was the guy With all the lights and all the attention, I was there, and I was on the field, and I did it. I was there, not just watching, I was doing. See, the second thing that Joshua did, first of all, he said, this is what God did for others, and I'm going to tell you now what God did for me. Because the Christian life is not just being able to retell the stories of the Bible. It's about being able to retell stories of what God is doing for you. It's not just God did that for Abraham. This is what God is doing for me. This is not just what God is doing for Pastor Choi. This is what God is doing for me. This is how God is talking to me. This is how God is speaking to me. See, the Christian life is not merely academic It has to be active. See, if the only thing that you do is you come to church and you hear some Bible stories and you go home and you are not changed, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle because you have to put it into practice. See, I grew up getting a lot of lessons doing different things. I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing uh, musical instruments. I grew up, you know, in tutoring things and all of that kind of stuff. And the first thing that you do when you go into say you play sports you play basketball say you want to play a musical instrument the first thing that they'll do when you start lessons and you know every week you go to a a lesson they might ask you to do a few things but when they want to teach you something new what do they do they say step aside i'm going to show you what you're going to do right So a basketball coach will say, all right, this is what we're going to do. And he begins to describe the practice drill that they're going to do. All right, you stand over here. You stand over here. All right, you're going to shoot it like this. And then you're going to run over here. You're going to grab the ball and pass it over to the next guy. And then we're going to do this rotation. They teach. Or if you learn a musical instrument, right? I grew up playing the piano. The piano teacher would say, all right, this is the the song that we're going to play. Here, let me play for you first. She would play the song. Or she would say, all right, this is a section that you're struggling with. Let me show you how you should play it. And then they say, after they say, this is what you're going to do, then they say, now go do it, right? I taught you the drill, now do the practice drill, all right? I taught you how to play this measure, you play this measure, all right? I taught you how to solve this problem, now you do some practice problems to solve it, right? Application, implementation, that's so vital and important. So people think that, oh, when I come to church, I have done the Christian thing that I'm supposed to do. No, 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 no. When you come to church and some of you are serving, and that's a big part of the Christian life. When you come and you're here in the church service and you hear the preaching, this is the education part of the Christian life. This is, this is what God did for others. This is what God wants us to do. You know when Christian living really starts? When the last amen is said, and now you've got to go out into the world and actually do it. That's where real Christianity is. We talk about forgiving one another, all right? We're not going to start having, you know, all right, you know, forgiving each other in the middle of service. What's going to happen? As soon as the service is over, you need to go find that person that you have bitterness against and then forgive them. Amen? Right? That's the role of, uh, of the church service and the application of it. So we see that the beginning of Joshua's speech is about history. He talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joshua wasn't there for any of that. But in verse number five, he begins to talk about things that he was there for. He was participating. Verse number five, I sent Moses also and Aaron and I plagued Egypt. Joshua was there for that. Joshua saw the ten plagues. He saw the lice. He saw the the hail come down. He saw the darkness. He saw all of that. According to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. He was there when the nation of Israel was brought out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and I came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and you dwelt in the wilderness a long season." And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you, but I will not hearken or I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. Do you see what Joshua is saying? He began with the part that said, this is the historical record that I was not there for. This is things like things that happened in the Bible. This is things that happened in past church history. These are things that happened in this church maybe before you got here, right? That's the past historical record. But then Joshua says, now let me tell you about the part where I was there. I was there when God parted the Red Sea. I was there when manna fell from heaven. I was there when all the miracles happened, the 10 plagues. I was there for all of that. Joshua saw and participated in all of this. So here is Joshua. He's stepping into this big role of following after Moses. It's a big role. It's a big deal. The first thing that he did was he said, all right, i got to take a look and see what God did before. What did God do for other leaders? And i got to know that God needs to do those same things for me. And then he said, all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go do it. I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to live for God. That's the second thing that he did. The third thing that he did, Joshua made a purposeful decision. So verse number 15, that's the verse that we started with. And it seem evil unto you to, uh, uh, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Hey, if you don't want to serve God, then you got to choose somebody. Whether the gods of the fathers uh, of your fathers would serve that were on the other side of the flood. This is talking about Abraham's parents, his dad and his brother, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I want to take a look at four decisions that he made. We're going to make it real practical. First of all, he independently chose to serve God. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. He says, you want to serve God? Choose to serve God. You want to choose to serve the gods of the Amorites? You can choose to serve the gods of the Amorites. But what he says is, I don't care who you serve. I'm serving God. He says, I don't care who you choose. I don't care what you do, I'm serving God. What a wonderful declaration. I don't care what the rest of the nation does, I'm serving God. He's talking to the leaders of the country. He's saying, you want to serve the gods of the Amorites? Choose you this day whom you will serve. You want to serve it? Go for it. But as for me and my house, we're serving God. I'm going to live for God. He didn't wait to see what his friends were going to do. He didn't wait to see what his family was going to do. He didn't wait to see, let's pull all of the leaders and see kind of who wins out and who's the most popular candidate. And then I'm going to go serve the most popular God that comes out of this. No, 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 no. He said, you can serve whoever you want to serve. And no matter what you choose, I'm serving God. Where do you think Joshua got that kind of resolve to say, for me and my house, we're going to serve God? Now, I don't know exactly where it started, but I know it didn't start here. You know how I know that? Remember when Joshua was called as one of the 12 spies? Remember they were to go into the promised land to see what it was like and come back and give a report? Remember, there were 12 spies. Remember, 10 of them said, "Oh yeah, there's lots of great things in there, but man, oh, they're giants. They're big. They're strong. They're scary. Let's not go there." 10 of them, 10 out of 12 said no. Clear majority no. Joshua and Caleb said, "Let's go." It doesn't. No, no, no. Don't listen to those guys. Let's go. This is what God told us to do. Let's go, let's go serve. You know what that tells me? Joshua, early on in life, had this resolve of, I don't care what the majority says, I'm serving God. I don't care what other people say, I'm trusting God. I don't care what other people do, I'm serving God. You know what that tells me about fathers that are able to say, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know where that kind of resolve comes from? It comes from a resolve before you become a father. That kind of resolve needs to be built. It needs to be grown. It needs to be developed. It needs to begin with the early stages of life of saying, you know what, I know my friends are doing this, but I'm going to serve God. I know what others say, but I'm going to serve God. You know why? Because if you're, going to be a popu- uh, if you're going to be a godly father, sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions. You just got to do it. Fathers, amen? Sometimes you got to make a decision that you know none of your kids are going to like it. None of your kids. It doesn't matter how, what kind of person. They won't like it. You're going to make a decision that your wife may not even like. And your wife will take the sides of the kids. (laughs) Now I'm not, you know, suggesting, you you know, conflict in the home. But sometimes there are places where the father says, I know this is not what everybody wants to do. I know everybody wants to go to Disneyland again this year or they want to go do something else. But we got to do the right thing. I know that we all want to do this. And I know that it would be so much fun if we did it but we got to do the right thing. And it might be unpopular. If you're going to be a godly father, sometimes you got to make that kind of decision. You know where you learn to make those kinds of decisions early on in life. Sometimes you got to make decisions that are uncommon decisions that other families aren't making. Sometimes you got to make those decisions. Sometimes you got to make the decisions of, I know that other families don't take their kids to Sunday school but I'm taking my kids to Sunday school. I know that other families don't bring their kids to church on a Wednesday night. It's in the middle of the school week and they got homework to do and they got classes on Thursday. They might have exams. But I want to serve God first. I know that if I spent the entire summer and invested into my kids with tutoring and doing all of this stuff, that they won't be able to do all of the church activities and and I've got to make a decision. But I want to serve God. And I know that my kids need to make a resolve that all of their friends are gonna go do this. All of their friends are gonna live this way. All of their friends watch this TV show. All of their friends follow these social media influencers or whatever they are and and do all of that kind of stuff. But you're not allowed to because we're gonna serve God. Sometimes you gotta make uncommon decisions and your friends won't understand. Your family may not understand. Your kids' friends may not understand. Your relatives may not understand, but Joshua says, I don't care if none of you understand, we're serving God. That's why you got to be a godly leader. If you're going to be a godly leader, sometimes you have to make uncertain decisions. Sometimes you have to make the right decision, even if you don't know it's all going to turn out well. Sometimes serving God doesn't make you wealthy. Are you okay with that? Oh, if you sacrifice God and, and you just worked and you did all of this stuff in order to earn money, you could probably be a little wealthier. But sometimes you've got to make the decision, you know what? We may be poor, we may be wealthy, but that's not the point. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but we've got to serve God. Sometimes you have to make those kind of decisions. That's why Joshua learned at an early age to independently choose, I'm going to serve God. The second decision that he made, he identified the clearly superior God. He said, you, want to, you don't want to serve God? You could serve the gods on the other side of the flood, the gods of Ab- uh, not Abraham, but Terah and his brother Nahor. You can serve those gods. Or you could serve the gods of the Amorites. And notice the way he phrases that, in whose land ye dwell. You know what that means? In whose land ye dwell means we're the winners here. You want to serve the losing God? You could serve the losing God. But I want to serve the winning God. That's what Joshua is saying. You want to serve that God? You can serve that God. You can serve that God. But I want to serve the winning God. And we serve the winning God. Amen? Isn't the God of the Bible the winning God? Isn't he the victorious one? Isn't he the one in whom we can say, Victory in Jesus? We can have victory. We can have victory because God will be victorious. And you know what Joshua said is, I don't want to serve those gods. We beat those gods. Why would I want to serve that God? I have a God who beat those gods. I'm not serving that God. I'm going to serve the God that wins. And you know what? That's what our God is. He gave us a victory over sin. He gave us a victory over hell. He gave us victory over temptation. We're going to have a new home in heaven. We're going to have a glorified body. God is clearly the superior God. And that's what Joshua chose. Here's the third decision that he made. He invariably continued to stand for God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was the idea that not just today, but next week and next month and next year and next decade, we're still serving the same God. It doesn't matter what year it is, we're going to serve the same God. We're going to serve this God. 2022, we're going to serve this God. 2032, we're going to serve this God. 2050, we're going to serve this God. He said, we will serve the Lord. Being a godly father is about making that kind of persistent decision again and again and again. And you've got to make the same decision again and again. again and again you know why because children are persistent kids don't give up can i have candy no can i have candy now no when can i have candy never (laughs) you know right not today Two seconds later, they turn around when they're bored. Dad, can I have candy? No, I just said no. Right? This is the third time no. Don't ask me again. Five minutes later, Dad, can I have candy? No, you can't. You got to make these decisions. You know what? And guess what? If you say yes, anywhere in that line, it could be the hundredth time. You know what your kids are going to do? I can wear down daddy. Oh, it might take a hundred times, but I got time. Kids don't have responsibilities they got all the time in the world. Like, all right, dad, let's get to work. (laughs) Can I have candy? (laughs) No. Yeah, I knew you were going to say no the first time. Dad, can I have candy? They're going to do it. So you know what? If you're going to be a godly father, you got to be persistent. Just as persistent as your kids to say, we will serve the Lord. Because you're going to have your kids say, can I go do this? No, we can't do that because that's on Sunday morning. We got to worship God. That's Sunday is the Lord's Day. We're going to worship the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And they're going to keep asking. They're going to ask about this. Well, my friend said this. Well, this is really important. What about this special thing? No, this is the Lord's day. We're going to worship God. He invariably continued to stand for God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If you stay persistent for God, you will reap a wonderful reward. The fourth decision that he made was he instructed his children to stay with God. He didn't just say, As for me, I will serve the Lord. He said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what he said? He said, kids, we're going to serve God. Your friends may not serve God. Your daddy's friends may not serve God. But we're serving God. This is a very interesting statement because this is Joshua 24. If you have your Bible open, you'll be able to see probably on the next page over the word Judges, the next book. You know what that means? This is the end. This is the end of Joshua's life. Joshua's going to die. That's why he's gathered everybody together. He's saying, all right, I'm going to die, so i got to give you some last instructions here. And he says, all right. And he gives all of these instructions as we went through it. He's about to die. And yet he could still confidently say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I know that my kids are young, but one day I have to let them go. It's going to be a scary day when you let them go. (laughs) When I let my kids go, what are they going to do? Are they going to serve God? Are they not going to serve God? Are they going to be faithful if they move away? And what's going to happen? All of these kinds of things. But there is great hope for the Christian. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number six. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's hope for your kids. There's hope for our kids. Amen? There's hope for them. We can say, just like Joshua, at the end of our life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord if we do all these things. What a wonderful godly father. What a wonderful godly father that we have here in the auditorium. That you're raising up your children and nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we do that, we can confidently say, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord.